Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. Welcome to Passion Church. and We believe in pursuing God's presence. Amen? All three of us believe it. <clears throat> the rest are too busy filling out stuff. That's fine. That's fine. We've been talking for uh, about a month now. We're a month old, and we've been talking about the fact that we have a process that we call the passion process. And so we took the first four weeks, and we dealt with the very first element of the passion process, which is to encounter. We believe that one of our chief purposes and goals is to encounter God, that we don't want to just come and have a business seminar or a self-help seminar, that what we want to do is we want to each week spend time in the presence of God and, and encounter Him so that He can impact our lives. And then we said... Uh, the the second step is to equip. And we illustrate this for you, Danny. There it is. Uh, the first step is to encounter. The second step is to equip. And we said that that step is hands open, signifying that none of us have arrived. Okay, I'll say amen. None of us have got it all together. None of us know everything. Uh, turn to your neighbor and say, you don't know everything. Come on, husbands, tell your wife. Tell them. Tell them you don't know everything, Right? I know some of you think you do, but you don't know everything. You may know a lot more than I know, but you don't know everything. And so what we are saying is that we're going to get our hands open and that what is going to take place is that we're going to help each other learn more, we'll learn more about God. God is going to teach us and we're going to teach each other. And so we've got to get our hands open. That's why this Wednesday night is so crucial to the DNA of our church. This Wednesday night at 7 o'clock, we launch Passion University. And what that is all about is it is allowing us to come and be equipped so that we can learn what we believe, understand why we believe what we believe, and become equipped together. And so we've got great instructors. You're going to hear some great instructions, but it's going to do more than that. It's going to empower you to live. Amen? It's not just going to be head knowledge. There's going to, it's going to be some heart knowledge and some life knowledge. You're going to learn how to live. So make sure you're here Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for Passion University. Young people, youth ministry starts this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock too. So we've got something for you. So make sure that you're here. And we have children's ministry. So all of you guys are invited this week at 7 o'clock. So this morning, we're going to begin to look at the second step in this process, which I said is equip. We'll ultimately get to engage. So this morning, I'm going to start a new series with you called, What Are You Good For? Maybe I should ask it like this. What are you good for? How many of you have ever been asked that question? Am I the only one? Okay, me and Hannah are the only ones that have ever been asked. Right? I, come on now, be honest. How many of you have ever... All right, yeah, I see them going up. Everybody kind of... I don't want to say... Right, what are you good for? Usually it's asked by that miffed parent, you know. Can you remember back to your childhood, some of you, when, when you weren't doing what you were supposed to do and your mom or dad walks in and says, Come on, man, what are you good for? Right? They, or, or maybe it's that person at school that you encountered that basically their intention was to draw all a glaring a light on your inability to accomplish a task. And so they'd look at you right in the middle of, you know, it was always when everybody else was around. They'd look at you and say, man, what are you good for? And then usually, whether we liked it or not, it was followed by this, this, this biting comment or tone of voice which was, you're good for nothing. You're, you're, you're a nobody, you're nothing. And what it does when that took place is it cut to the very core of who you are. Now, some of you wouldn't raise your hand and say, I've been asked, what, are you, what am I good for? Because the reality is it wasn't somebody else that asked you that, it was you that asked you that. 
Maybe you're a lot more secure than I am, but I just know that there have been times in my life when, when there were mornings I woke up and looked in the mirror and said, what are you good for? What, what are you, what is your purpose in life? Some of you are still struggling to find your niche, your place, your position in life, and you are frustrated, and you are, you agonize, and you anxious, you're anxious over the fact that you still don't know, even after all these years, what you're good for. There are more mornings that you wake up than you'd like to admit that the first thing you think about when you wake up is, what am, why am I here? What am I good for? There are more nights than you would like to admit that you go to the bed and the last thing that goes through your mind is, mind is why am I here? What am I good for? Why has God placed me here? I'm not saying you don't go through the motions. I'm not saying that you don't hold down your job faithfully. I'm not saying that you're not a productive citizen of, of our nation. I'm just saying there are moments when you question, why am I here? What am I good for? Years of searching, years of questioning, years of frustration. Now, there's a term, and you're not going to like this term. I didn't like it either when I began to think about this, but this is the term that I think describes most of us best. Are you ready? misfits misfits we don't fit in anywhere there are basically two definitions of misfit here they are something of the wrong size or shape for its purpose or two one who is unable to adjust to one's environment or circumstances or is considered to be disturbingly different from others misfits We don't like to be called misfits, but a lot of us just can't seem to fit in. We try and we fail. We try to adapt and we can't seem to, we seem to, we can't seem to come to grips with who we are. And and we're just misfits. We're overlooked. We feel like we're the wrong shape. Come on now. The wrong size. We're unable to adjust. We're glaringly different. I I don't know about you, but this 5'8 man in a 6'2 man world has had moments when I felt like a misfit. Right, I can still remember at my senior year in Bible college, I was walking across the campus. The president called me in his office, looked me straight in the eye, pointed his finger at me, and he said these words, you will never amount to anything in the kingdom of God, and I will make sure of it. You know what I felt like? A misfit. As confident as I may have been up to that point, the reality is, is that when I walked out of his office, there were questions going on in my spirit and in my life. Will, is he right? Am I good for anything? What is wrong with me? What, what am I able to do? Come on, some of you have had situations and circumstances in your life where things have gone wrong and people have pointed fingers and laughed and made fun of you and you've questioned, am I good for anything? I got good news for you this morning. If you've ever been called a misfit, if you've ever felt like a misfit, or if you are a misfit, good news, you're in good company. In history, history is marked by misfits. Let me give you some examples. The first one is this, Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill seemed so dull as a youth that his father thought he might be incapable of earning a living in England. Did you know that? Did you know that uh, Charles Darwin did so poorly in school that his father once told him, you will be a disgrace to yourself and all your family? Did you know that they said about uh, G.K. Chesterton, the English writer uh, who wrote Charles Dickens, they said to him, he couldn't, first of all, he couldn't read until he was eight years old. So you know what his classmates were saying about him. But one of his teachers said this to him. Think about this. As as an eight-year-old little boy, a teacher told him this. If we could open your head, we should not find any brains but only a lump of white fat. Now, what do you think he said? I'm a misfit. I don't fit anywhere. I'm a reject. I'm a has-been. I'm a nobody. Thomas Edison's first teacher described him as addled. And his father almost convinced him he was a dunce. 
Albert Einstein's parents feared their child was dull, and he performed so badly in all high school courses except math that a teacher asked him to drop out. It's one thing for you to drop out on your own. It's another thing for a teacher to come and say, you know what, you ought to quit. You're just not going to cut it here, right? History is marked by misfits that did not fit in, that couldn't adjust. And not only that, Scripture is riddled all across the landscape of Scripture. There are misfit after misfit after misfit. If you don't believe that, watch this. Think God can't use you? Think He only uses perfectly qualified people? Take a closer look. Moses was not a great speaker. Jonah ran from God. Jacob was a liar. Noah got drunk. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair. Jeremiah was depressed a lot. Solomon was rich in wisdom, but poor in lifestyle. John the Baptist was just plain poor. Timothy was too young. Abraham was too old. Lazarus was dead. Sarah was barren. Naomi was a widow. Gideon and Thomas both doubted. And so did Sarah. Peter lacked self-control. James and John were self-righteous. Paul had a short fuse. Well, so did Peter and Moses. Actually, lots of people did. God's army isn't perfect. It never has been. It's the march of the unqualified. Get in line. The march of the unqualified, misfits. You could fill up a whole book, in fact, he did, of people who didn't fit in that weren't quite everything we thought they should be. But perhaps one of the most interesting groups of misfits that we can talk about is found in our text this morning, and I want you to turn there. I want you to listen carefully as the Word describes a group of ragtag, questionable character men. They're David's men. In 1 Samuel chapter 22, in verse 2, I want to read it in two versions because I want you to understand what's going on here. It says, And everyone that was in distress... And everyone that was in debt and everyone that was discontented gathered, discontented gathered themselves unto him and he became captain over them and they, there were with him about 400 men. Listen to this in the Message Bible. Not only that, but all who were down on their luck came around, losers and vagrants and misfits of all sorts. David became their leader. There were about 400 in all. Now, like it or not, The description that he uses about his men describes us. Describes us. For instance, the Bible says that they they were distressed, in debt, and discontent. One man says it like this. He says they knew not well what to do with themselves. They had no clue what they were doing. They were a bunch of nobodies doing nothing. They had no clue what to do. 
And, and so they come along and the writer says they're, they're distressed, in debt, and discontent. I don't know about you, but that's not a description that I want said about me. I, you know, I wouldn't want to go get a business card that said, Steve Ely, lead pastor of Passion Church. He's, he's distressed, in debt, and discontent, right? You wouldn't want to go get a business card like that. You wouldn't want to see that under, on your resume or on your biographical information. You certainly, how many want to go back and open up your high school yearbook and find your picture there and under it says they were discontent, distressed, and in debt. That's not really glamorous words, but that's what they said about them. Listen to these definitions. Distressed means this, anxiety or mental suffering, or it can mean severe strain resulting from exhaustion or an accident. It can mean or uh, acute physical discomfort. Another definition of the word is out of date or used. Every time I wear my parachute pants, I feel out of date. I don't understand. I'm playing. I don't still have a pair of those. <laughs> so that, that's the definition of distress. The second thing he said about them is that they were in debt. Now, I could spend some time and try to define debt for you, but most of you are so familiar with debt, I don't need to define that word. You understand what it means to be in debt. You understand what it means not to, to find a place where the, you can make ends meet, right? You understand debt. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time. You're familiar with that. But the third word he says is they were discontent. Listen to what the definition is. A restless desire or craving for something one does not have or a malcontent, dissatisfied, displeased. And in Hebrew, the word there for discontent means literally means this, bitterness. Another way they said it is bitterness of soul. It can also mean to have been wronged or mistreated. And the reality is, is that under the sound of my voice, as pretty as you are and as nicely cleaned up as you are and as, as altogether as you may seem, the reality is that under the sound of my voice, there are a group of people sitting here who fit one of these categories. There are people in this room who are distressed, that are anxious, that feel used up, that feel abused, that feel out of date and don't feel like you can fit in. There's mental anguish, there's physical anguish, and you feel distressed. There are people sitting under the sound of my voice that are struggling with debt. Debt financially, you have collectors breathing down your neck, but some of you are not financially in debt. You're spiritually in debt and you find yourself bankrupt spiritually and you find no way out. You don't know how to find your way to God and you find yourself in an indebted situation and you don't know what to do. And then there's also a group of people sitting here that are discontent. You're restless. You want more. You're malcontent. You're dissatisfied. You're displeased. In fact, some of you may be even running from church to church to church trying to find something that you've been looking for because you've been hurt, you've been abused, you've been mishandled by leaders, and so now you find yourself in a discontent status or or situation, and, and that's your dilemma. Now, the question this morning is not how you ended up this way. The question that I want to pose to you is how do you take a group of people that are distressed, in debt, and discontent and form them into a mighty fighting force? Because that's what David did. Somehow, some way, some shape, some method, he took all these people that were broke, busted, and disgusted, he got them all together in one place, and he trained them and made them mighty fighting men. My question is how? And I think I've got the answer. And so last week I told you that destiny is never fulfilled in isolation. You cannot find your purpose until we find our purpose, right? You, you've got to come into a body like this, and together we find our purpose. So this morning we're going to start at corporate destiny. How do we find our destiny as a corporate body? Because once we deal with this this week, next week we're going to get really, really practical on how you can find your personal purpose. 
But we've got to find our corporate purpose first. So here are the steps to destiny. How do we find, how do we position ourselves for destiny? Here you go. From the life of David's men, from their experience, this is how, how I think that they did this. This is how it changed. The first thing is this. They rallied around a common cause. In 1 Chronicles chapter 12, it very clearly tells us that David's men, their one goal, their one cause, their one purpose in life was to make David king and to defeat Saul. That was their goal. Now, the dilemma with that is this is... Not, some of you are not going to like this. Just listen to me. Hang on. I'm going I'm to give you an out here in just a second. All right? Because see, what I've discovered is this, that most, most of the time, misfits are grumpy, grouchy, self-centered, angry, and easily offended. They always want their way. They're always concerned about their cause and nobody else's cause. Now, here's your out. Touch your neighbor and say, he ain't talking about me, so he must be talking about you. All right? So how do you take grumpy, gripey, self-centered people and turn them into a mighty fighting force where their only goal is to reach out for one common goal? I believe that what happened was in the lives of these men is they centered their whole life, their whole purpose, their whole goal was to one purpose only, and that was to make David king. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Chronicles chapter 11, they were so committed to that that three of them, when David said, I'm thirsty, they went and laid their life on the line and went and snuck into a fortified city and got him watered to drink at their own life's risk. Why? Because their one purpose was David. Let's make David king. They were committed to it. They would lay everything else aside. They would lay it all down for that one purpose. They were unified, not by the common likes, not because they all wore the same clothes, not because they all listened to the same music or listened on this or lived on the same side of town. They were unified by one purpose and one purpose only, and that was the common goal of making David king. Now, I said this last week. We have to be unified in our purpose and have the same goal. Listen to me very carefully. This church will not be everything that you want it to be. It will be everything we want it to be. There's a huge difference there, a vast difference. And I am saying to you that each of us must decide and come to the place in our life where we will focus on one common goal, one common purpose, and we will go towards that one thing. What is our goal? What is our purpose corporately? Three things. To encounter, to equip, and to engage. It's got to be more than a slogan. It's got to be more than a little nice thing on a piece of paper. It has got to become our heart-driven goal where we will give up everything in pursuit of that, where we will give up everything in pursuit of those three things. Did you catch the we? It's not enough for the pastor to pursue those three things with all of his heart. It's not enough for the worship team to pursue those things with all their hearts. It's not enough for the core team and the leadership of this church to pursue those things with all their their heart. It has to be a corporate thing where we all say, you know what, nothing else will come in the way. We're not going to get caught up on pet peeves and pet petty issues. We are going to corporately pursue these, these three things. We are going to encounter God. We're going to equip people and we're going to engage people. We've got to forget about the carpet. We've got to forget about the temperature. We've got to forget about our favorite song. We've got to forget about what I want and my desires and my comfort zone. And we've got to come to a corporate place of unity where we all pursue the same thing. This has to be our goal. If, if, listen, I'm going to get real blunt. We're probably not old enough for me to say it like this, but I'm going to get real blunt. If you're not here to encounter God, and if you're not here to become equipped, and if you're not willing to engage, you need to go find another church. Well, you can't stand to lose anybody. I understand that. Drop your ties in the bucket on the way out, and then get our web address and give it. I'm playing. I'm playing. Listen, I'm playing. 
I am dead serious here. If, the, if you are not corporately aligned with those three things, then we cannot change a group of misfits to, to impact the world and impact our community until we become unified. So those three things and nothing else. Lay aside your pet programs. We might not have your pet program. Lay aside your issues, whatever they may be. We may not do it just like you want us to do it, but that's all right. If we are unified on one theme and purpose only, we can make it happen. The second thing they did is they rallied around each other. Now, that's a stretch in most churches, but it's also a stretch in most organizations. If we want to take the distressed, the debt-filled, and discontented people and turn them into an incredible fighting force, we must grasp this truth. Are you ready for this truth? They defended one another. They fought for one another instead of fighting against or with one another. They they threw away their dog-eat-dog mentality. How many of you know we live in a dog-eat-dog world? Right? And most of us work in dog-eat-dog environments, and so a lot of times we bring that into the church, and we try to live church that way. It won't work. We've got to get rid of that mentality. They didn't fight each other. They recognized that they had one common enemy and one common goal, and they fought the right enemy. And touch your neighbor say, I ain't fighting you. Come on, tell them. Not fighting you. Why, why should I mention this in church? Because here's the truth that I need you to teach you. You're a li- I, I wish that I had come up with this. It's not original with me. Max Lucado said it first, I think. I think it's powerful. I think he was right. You know what he said? When fishermen don't fish, they fight. Right? You, if you take a group of people who are called to be fishers of men and they don't get out of the building and go fish, what happens is they become completely internal and we turn on one another and we begin to attack one another and we begin to destroy one another and we find each other's faults and, and all our peculiarities and we point them out and we snatch at them and we claw at them and scratch at them and talk bad about them and point fingers at them unless we get out of here and go reach out into our community and then we understand, you know what, They're, everybody is all the same. We all need the same amount of help. When fishermen don't fish, they, they fight. So they had a common goal. They had a common enemy. We have to understand that we are not fighting one another. From the very beginning, we need to understand that. Our, our attitude has to change. Listen very carefully. Our attitude has to change from watch your back to I've got your back. See, the reality is that sitting in this room this morning, there are people who have stuff after them. Some of you have debt chasing you down. Some of you have depression changing you, chasing you down. Some, some of you have addictions chasing you down. Some of you have brokenness chasing you down. And you need somebody to come alongside of you and pull their sword out and say, you know what, don't worry about it, honey, I got your back. Some of, some of us need somebody to look the devil straight in the eye and say, you know what, you can have them if you can get through me. You can't touch them until you get through me. I need some of you to lock arm and, and, and understand and get unified and understand that if they die, you die. If they're defeated, you're defeated. And we fight for one another instead of against one another. All for one, one for all. That's got to be our common cry. The third thing that caused these men to become such a great fighting force is, is just that. They were willing to fight. When all the odds were stacked against them, when it didn't look like there was any hope, when everything was destroyed, when everything was taken and stolen, when all hope was gone, when it didn't look like they had anywhere to turn, the, the truth about these men is this, they were willing to fight. 
When the dust settled at the end of the day, they were willing to get their hands dirty, draw a sword, and go fight somebody. They weren't pushovers. They, were, they had a mentality that said, come on, I'm ready for a fight. I, I would rather fight, to you, fight, fight for you than, to, to, than to, to just sit here and do nothing and die. Right? They, were, they were willing to fight. And what I am doing is I am asking some of you, I, I'm wondering if there are any fighters in the room. Is there anybody that's a lover and a fighter? You'll love your brother, but you'll fight for your brother too. I need somebody that will look hell in the eye and say, you know what, I refuse to back down. I refuse to let go. I'll hold on until we get what's ours. See, there are going to be people that come into our, our church that some people are going to look at and say they're not worth the effort. How many of you know that changing discontent, distressed, indebted people takes time? It doesn't always happen overnight. They're not going to just walk in and suddenly be just like us. They're going to be messed up. And uh, some people are going to look at them and say, we don't have time for that. They're going to use us. They're going to take advantage of us. They're going to abuse us. We don't have time for them. They don't smell like us. They don't drive the same kind of car we drive. They don't wear the same kind of clothes. They don't listen. We don't have time for them. We're too busy with us. Listen, I need some fighters to show up at this church who say, you know what? If it takes six months, I'm with you. I will fight. I am not going to let down. I am going to hold on for destiny. I'm going to push through and I'm going to get what's mine. But I'm also going to help you get what's yours. They were willing to fight. It was a fighting force. The third thing, or let me say this. In Matthew, we are taught a, a powerful principle, and that is this. Those who endure till the end are saved. In other words, he's teaching us this truth. You've got to be willing to fight. You can't let up too soon. Some of you just need to lock arms. with. Come on, get your neighbor. Lock arms with him. Come on. Say, we're in this together. We're going to fight. Come on. Get your neighbor's arm and say, we're in this. We're going to fight. We are a fighting force. Come on. Tell your neighbor, we are a fighting force. Come on. Tell him. Look at your other neighbor and say, you're bad, man. You're bad. I'll fight. I'll fight for you. Come on. Tell him. I'll fight for you. Right? We're going to endure till the end. We're not going to let up too soon. The last reason that they, they were able to, to become such a mighty force, and I want you to catch this. I've been praying over this all week. I called Tina, who's over our prayer and prophetic teams. I told her we need to pray about this one point all week long because I think this is so important. I want you to stay with me. They had a common goal. They had a common enemy. They, they rallied around one another. They were willing to fight. Hear me this morning. The fourth and probably the most important reason why they were able to become such a mighty force was this. They trusted a leader. In fact, the Bible says this. He became captain over them. They were gathered unto him. For some of you, that's going to be really hard to do. Hear me this morning. Some of you are discontent. That word means bitterness of soul or misused and some of you sitting under the sound of my voice have been in environments and in situations and in churches where you're, or in relationships where you've been abused or misused and you've, you find yourself unable to trust leaders anymore. You just don't know how to trust a leader. You're suspicious of every leader because you've been hurt by somebody that called themselves a man of God or a woman of God. And so now you find yourself in a church and we're trying to march towards a common goal, but you can't go because you're guarded and you're careful and you're not willing to extend yourself. Let, let me tell you something this morning. David wasn't perfect. David made some bad decisions. But David played favorites. Dave, David talked harshly to some of his men. David wasn't perfect, but they didn't follow him because he was perfect. They followed him because they knew his heart and they could trust his heart. 
And what I am saying to you this morning is this. If you, if you are going to become part of this mighty force, and if we're going to become part of this mighty force, then the only way to get there is we've got to come to the place where we are willing to trust a leader again. Let me just tell you, I want to make a de- declaration this morning. I am not going to do everything right. Our leadership team is not going to do everything right. We're not going to make all the right choices. We're not always going to be everything that we're supposed to be. But let me also tell you this morning that our hearts are pure. Our hearts are pure for you. You know what our heart is for you? That you will become everything that God wants you to become. That God will step in and bring destiny into your life. That you will fulfill your purpose. That God has placed you here on assignment. We will help you discover that and find that and walk that out. Our heart is pure. We want what's best for you. So you've got to come to the place where, let me say it like this. You will never discover what you're good for unless you first come to the place where you'll trust a leader. Why? Why? Because deep calls to deep. What does that mean? It means you need somebody, and it could very well be the leadership of this house that God is trying to place in your life. You need somebody that's willing to look at you and say, there's more in you than that. They will call out of you what is in you. They will look at you and see you in your struggles and seeing your, in your pain and your hardship, and they'll look at you and say, you know what? You can't settle for that. There's more in you than that. You need somebody that will call destiny out of you. So you've got to connect yourself to a leader that will push you to find more of God and pull on you to find more of yourself and pull on you and challenge you to use your gifts and become everything you're supposed to be. You cannot do that on your own. Everything rises and falls on leadership. You need a voice, a person in your life. So here's the truth. I don't know all of your stories. We're still young enough that I don't know all your stories, but I know some of your stories. And what I've discovered as, as I've looked across the landscape of our congregation and as we've spent time in prayer, when I called Tina, we begin to pray and others begin to pray. You know what? We came to the conclusion that this is a room full of people who've been hurt by leaders. At some point in your life, maybe it's a, in a church setting, maybe it was in a, a school setting, maybe it was in a relationship, a marriage relationship, maybe it was in a friendship, but there was a leader, someone you looked up to in your life that you trusted and they hurt you, they betrayed you, they stabbed you in the back, and now you find yourself unable to trust. And what I am saying to you is this, if you're going to become what God wants you to become, you've got to trust somebody. Hear me this morning. What you're running from is not as important as what you're running to. Let that sink in a second. What you are running from, because some of you are running hard, what you're running from is not as important as what you're running to. And what I want to say to you this morning is this. God will place somebody in your life that can call something out of you. Call that dream back to life. Call that that purpose back to life. I know it might be dead, and I know you may think it's gone forever, but God will place somebody in your life to reach down through words and through actions. They will be able to reach down inside of you and pull that purpose back to life. you got to trust somebody. They were mighty because they rallied around a common goal. They had a common purpose. They, They... rallied around each other, they were willing to fight, and they trusted leaders. I honestly believe that we can take all the misfits in this house and all the misfits that are out there that are drawn to us, 
And if we can rally around the right goal, and if we can rally around each other, and if we're willing to get dirty and fight if we have to, and if we will trust our leaders, let me tell you what will happen. We will become a mighty force for the kingdom of God. In fact, let me declare it like this. Give me a church full of misfits. Those that are tired, those that are indebted, those that are in distress, those that are discontented with this caveat, if they're willing to line up with the vision, if they're willing to rally around one another, if they're willing to fight and not give up, if they're willing to trust the leadership, if we can come to that place, we can take that kind of group of people and we can change our community. Looking at a bunch of misfits. That's right, you're looking at one too. We don't fit in. In fact, the Bible says we're peculiar. (laughs) Jesus understands that. He was perhaps the greatest misfit that ever lived. The Bible says that he came to his own, his own accepted or received him not. He was a reject. He was the capstone, the cornerstone that the builder rejected. In fact, he probably wasn't very pretty because the Bible teaches us that he wasn't even good to look at. He needed a makeover. Right? And yet, People were drawn to him. And when they got close to him, he turned them into a mighty fighting force that turned the world upside down because he understands rejects. You're not alone. You're in good company. I want you to stand with me this morning. Next week, we're going to go into one of David's mighty men, his life. And for the next three weeks, we're going to search his life out. And he's going to teach us lessons on how to position ourselves for personal destiny. How do you find what you're good for? We're going to deal with that the next three weeks. But hear me this morning. We first have to get in line with one another corporately and understand that for us to be able to accomplish everything God wants to accomplish in us, we got to get together. We've got to rally around the common goal. We've got to fight for one another. We've got to fight and we've got to trust our leaders, as hard as that may be. I want to pray over you that we're going to have special prayer this morning. Father, we are so thankful that you can take those of us that don't fit in, that may even be rejects, that may be outcasts, that may be unable to adjust to our circumstances or our environment. We may be glaringly different even disturbingly different from everybody else. And you can use us. We thank you for that this morning, God. We thank you that even when we don't know what we're good for, you know what we're good for. God, we're thankful this morning that you can take us and you can produce and form purpose and destiny in us. God, I thank you this morning that under the sound of my voice, it doesn't even matter if there are folks that are standing here that are distressed, in debt, and discontent, used up overlooked I thank you that even then you're able to step in and change all of that and allow us to fulfill our purpose and destiny in your kingdom God I praise you for your word this morning I thank you for what you can accomplish in our our lives in Jesus name every head bowed every eye closed we're going to do this in two stages if you're here and you say Pastor Steve I feel like a misfit. I don't feel like I fit in. Everywhere I go, I feel overlooked. Everywhere I turn, people think I'm a nobody. I've even had, maybe even had people look at me and say, they'll never amount to nothing. They're no good. And you're broken in your spirit this morning. Deep down, you know that's how you feel. And and you're, you're, you're destroyed by it. And that's you. I want you to quickly raise your hand and pull it right back down. I'm not going to embarrass you, I promise you. Anyone feeling like a reject this morning 
I try to fit in. Yes. I try to fit in and I just don't know how. do this in two stages. This is the first stage. I just want you to reach over and touch your neighbor right now. Some of you are standing next to folks who raise their hand. You might not even know it. It may look like they've got it all together, but they need somebody to get their back. They need somebody that's willing to stand next to them and fight. Father, right now, we pray for the people we're touching. God, we pray that in the name of Jesus right now that you would touch them and allow them to understand that this is the march of the unqualified. None of us are qualified but your mercy is great. And Father, I pray this morning that you would touch a broken heart, you'd touch a broken life, and you'd allow us to understand, allow us to understand that you've called us, that you know us, that you're not embarrassed of us. Before we were ever formed in our mother's womb, you knew us. And you can use us. God, I pray for those that raise their hand this morning that you would touch them right now, that you would heal the brokenness of their life. You'd heal the pain in their life. God, when they look at themselves in the mirror and they don't like what they see, God, I pray that they would suddenly see themselves like you see them. Called, chosen, ordained. Mighty man, mighty woman of valor. Able to accomplish great and mighty feats for your kingdom. Heal every broken heart this morning in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You can look at me now. Look at me. you got to trust leaders. Hear me. Some of you have been hurt. Some of you have had leaders do bad things to you. They let you down. You put your trust in them, and they blew it. You know what? They're human. We all blow it. But what happened is, because of that, now you find yourself in a position where you don't trust like you should. You're suspicious. You're guarded. You don't want anybody. You don't want to give your heart to anybody. They hurt me once. It might be a church leader. It might be in a relationship. I don't. All I know is I know what God said to me, and He said there's some folks in this room that have got to come to the place where they're willing to trust God again and trust God's appointed again. If you're here this morning, and that's you, that's you. I need you to trust me. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I need you to trust me. If that's you, quickly, I want you to step out and come and stand right here. Quickly. I've been hurt by a leader. And I need some help. I've been hurt. I've been misused. I've been abused. Somebody did me wrong. I put my trust in them. I loved them and they let me down. It doesn't have to be a church leader. It could be a relationship issue. Thank you, Father. Come on, I'm going to wait one more second. Somebody else is in the house that's hurt. It's been let down. Mike, will you come and help me? I need some other help. Daddy, will you come? Dr. Beecham, will you come? Bishop Leggett, will you come? Terry, will you come? Now, hear me. We got some honest folks standing here. Hear me this morning. Listen to me. John, will you come? We, we've got some honest folks standing here. I need somebody to get their back. If I try to pray over each one of these individuals, we'll be here all day. We're not going to do that. These guys, are going, ladies and guys are going to help me. Tina's up here. She's going to help. Listen, I need some of you. I need somebody to get their back. They need somebody to guard their back. 
They're going to begin to pray. We're going to begin to pray for them and ask God to restore trust again. But I need some of you to step out and get with them right now. Come on. The Holy Spirit will lead you to one of them and say, that's your assignment right there. Come on. I I need somebody to move out to each one. I know they're already praying for them, but they need some help. Let the Holy Spirit lead you right now. Get your assignment. There's some of these folks that you've been assigned to pray for right now. Come on. Let's all of you that are standing that didn't come. That's fine. I just need you to begin to pray. Rally around one another right now. Let's pray that God will begin to restore trust in the name of Jesus. Come on. Who can I come to? For I know you satisfy. Does not run dry, so I wait for you. So I wait for you. privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.